good evening. Um, I think I'd better preface this by saying that I am a feminist and I am a snake lover. Oops. Anyway, I think that's important to note because the story that I'm about to tell might give the impression of the opposite. Um, but I very definitely love some snakes and I am very definitely a feminist. So uh, forgive me if I seem to tell the opposite story right now. Grace Olive Wiley was born in a small town in 1883. I, uh, I hesitate to say the name of the town because I'm pretty sure that I could only come off as a racist. You see, it was, it was, it was named after a Frenchman, but it's in Kansas, and it's something along the lines of Chanute or Canute or Huacanute. Um, Anyway, I'll leave it up to you how to pronounce that. I don't really care. Anyway, the town was really, really tiny back in 1883. There's still only 10,000 or so people there today. Uh, but at the time, it was, it was in its infancy. There was just a handful of families there. However, it seems to have been something of a hot, hotbed of success. The Wikipedia page for Canute or whatever is um, lists 10 notable people to have come from the town. 10. And I know at least one of them, and that's Grace Olive Wiley. So 1883, the year Grace Wiley was born, was a long time ago. Now, I know you guys are intelligent, but that's a long time ago. It was the year that Treasure Island and Pinocchio were first published in book form. Krakatoa erupted. The first vaudeville theatre opened. Maine's Electricity hello, just in its infancy. It was the world's first rodeo, literally, and actually the last time we saw a quagga working, walking the earth. I don't think those two things are related, but who knows. Um, Robert Koch re uh, discovered cholera. Karl Marx died in 1883, but yet to be born were Adolf Hitler and the fountain pen. That's how long ago it was. The new railroads of the new world were winding their way across the plains of the USA. Stagecoach stage coach robberies were still a thing. And the world had not yet heard of Madeleine Albright, Betty Ford, Eva Perron, Jermaine Greer, Anne Summers, and even suffragettes. And yet, Grace Wiley thought to herself, you know what? I'd like to study creepy crawlies for a living. So she went to the University of Canvas, which was no small feat for a woman in that era. No small feat at all to be accepted. Um, but further to that, she got a job afterwards as an entomologist in the university. And she was off through the southwest of the United States doing her entomological things, and she decided to start collecting rattlesnakes in her spare time. And when I say collecting rattlesnakes, I don't mean cute ornamental porcelain maybe even, I don't know, glass rattlesnakes. I mean wild rattlesnakes from the effing wild, wild rattlesnakes. And then she thought, oh, you know what? I might have a go at breeding these things because every Victorian lady knows that there's only one better thing than having a house full of wild rattlesnakes, and that's more rattlesnakes. But here's the thing about that. Breeding rattlesnakes in captivity was completely unheard of at the time. 
nobody nobody had ever done it before and breeding animals in captivity isn't easy even today we struggle with hundreds of thousands of species trying to get them to breed in captivity animals need have very specific requirements about what they need in order to breed in captivity and for the most part we don't even know what those requirements are let alone actually being able to meet them but somehow old grace wiley she'd managed to breed herself some rattlesnakes and had hundreds of the things in 1923, she got a job at the Minneapolis Public Library. Now, that sounds like quite a becoming job for a young lady in 1923. But there, rather than looking after the books, she collected more amphibians and reptiles and hundreds of the things lying about the library, which I'm sure they loved as part of their education program. Um, and she, she developed a reputation for being fearless. But she didn't make many friends at the library because she just thought that she wasn't frightened of them and nor should anybody else be so they can just wander around the library as they wish you see she thought that children weren't born with a fear of snakes she thought that they loved snakes just like they loved cats and dogs now i don't know if you know any five-year-olds six-year-olds but if you gave them the choice between a kitten and a rattlesnake you can only guess what they might choose. Um, but the argument about whether kids are frightened of snakes when they're born or whether they learn that from grown-ups like yourselves, most of you, um, that's something that's still debated today. We still don't really know that. Uh, again, like I say, I, I think I know more young kids that like kittens and puppies than they do snakes, but that's fine. That's what Grace Wiley reckoned. She thought that they were pretty much harmless. She said... Um, don't be afraid of a reptile's tongue. The only animal that can hurt you with its tongue is the demon. It's probably best I don't comment on that one. Um, let's talk about the Bible. The Bible is, is responsible for a lot, of, a lot of poor snakes' demise, actually. I know people personally who kill snakes on sight on the basis that the Bible says that snakes are bad, so they've got to go. Um, but Wiley... Wiley was somehow apart from the whole of that culture. She thought that train, snakes were trainable. Even the most venomous snakes could be trained, presumably much like you would a puppy or a dog. Um, spoiler alert, can't, can't, can't train a snake. Certainly not like a puppy. <laughs> anyway, let's cut us some slack. You see, you have to remember it was the turn of the century before the turn of the last century. It was a long time ago. And... It was a very, very different place. Not in a hashtag me too sort of a different place. Although, has to be said, if that was a thing back then, would have totally been a thing back then. Because, you know, this was, this was pre-feminists. Um, Pre-social media, it was a snake charming, lion taming, soaring a woman in half kind of a time. Houdini was in his prime and still decades away were mobile phones and labradoodles. But Grace Wiley, she was a trailblazer. She didn't have many friends. Fair to say her colleagues were not really keen on her lax attitude to health and safety, as much as she believed that the snakes that she had roaming the halls of the library were trained and therefore quite safe. Her um, colleagues didn't really agree with having them crawling around the corridors. can't imagine why. But it was before the time, remember, of plain packaged cigarettes and seat belts and all those sorts of things. This was a time of danger and bravery and foolishness. 
1933, Grace Wiley moved to Brookfield Zoo, which might, you might think is a probably a better place for somebody that was so keen on amphibians and reptiles, and she got a job as a curator of reptiles. So, again, remember, this is still only 1933. This is pretty remarkable for a, for a woman of that time. Um, but she, despite her, all her brilliance, all her intelligence, all her astuteness, all her experience, she kind of missed the basic principle about zoos. And I think of the basic principle of zoos as being animals kept in cages. But not Grace Wiley. Oh, no, these snakes were trained. So they might as well just wander around and interact with the public in any way they know how. So um, anyway, in, in 1935, she was let go. So you might think things are looking a bit grim for our poor friends to the snakes. Snakes are persecuted, women are marginalised, and it's the 1930s, which is not known to have been an ideal time for either of those things. But it was the beginning of the golden age of Hollywood, and Grace Wiley was a bright sort, and so were the producers and the directors of the movies in Hollywood. And what does every young film producer want in Hollywood in the 1930s? A snake trainer. And of course, who do we know that can train snakes? Grace Olive Wiley. She is able to train a venomous snake, so it's no danger to anybody. So off she goes to join Hollywood, and her snakes, her best friends, are in The Jungle Book and other films that require trained venomous snakes. Now, at this point, she's amassed a massive collection of reptiles, lots of snakes, but lots of other animals as well. And so she opens her own private zoo. And she charges everybody a quarter to come and have a look around her snakes and her amphibians, her lizards. And, um, and she's quite entrepreneurial as well. You know, this is, this is still only the 1930s. And, you know, Grace Wiley, she's, she's before her time. She really is. And in 1948, Wiley invited a journalist to come to her private zoo and to take photos of her and her charges. And, of course, she's quite close to them, and they are well-trained, so she's given a nice big Indian cobra a cuddle for the cameras. So I don't know how much you know about Indian cobras, but let's say they're a lot like a kitten, but with a little bit less fluff and a lot more venom. <laughs> to cut a long story short, Wiley calmly requested that she be taken to hospital for treatment. So Indian cobras, they're elapids, which is a lot like most of the snakes in Australia. They have this um, neurotoxic venom, which attacks the, the nervous system, and um, you're paralyzed, and then you get eaten, um, which is a lot different from the rattlesnakes that they have in North America, and most of the North American snakes that she'd worked with, which are vipers, and they have a hemotoxic venom, which interferes with your blood supply and your blood flow, and you clot or you bleed, and, and then you collapse, and then you die and you're eaten. So very different toxins. The result is the same, but very different toxins and require different treatment. The hospital, which of course is in North America, had plenty of antivenom for the hemotoxic snakes, but only one vial of antivenom for the neurotoxin. And that vial was broken, and the antivenom had dispersed. So, as you might have worked out, this story has a bit of a sad ending. 
Grace Wiley never made it. Her uh, body was well and truly destroyed by the venom of the snake that she so loved and had trained. Um, she, like so many people throughout history, purely misunderstood snakes. But I don't remember Grace Wiley as a foolhardy figure of recklessness who was killed by her own naivety. She was so much more than that. She had a devil-may-care attitude. She was one of the very first few female herpetologists that blazed a trail for myself and I'm sure for many others in this room. She was, she made such professional headway in a time when women were really only expected to know how to get married and have a family, maybe play the piano. She laughed in the face of the boys' club that was entomology. She published papers on water boatmen and anoles. And that was a time when, you know, maybe she could have made her own dresses, was all that, all that society expected of her. And then, when things got really rough, she transitioned from curating animals to working in Hollywood at a time when women in Hollywood were expected to be blonde and seductive and all the other things that for the most part they still are today, but at that time was even worse. She was bold and she was brave and she was industrious. And she's my hero, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>